Hello, people. Oh, what? Hey, squad. Why can't I what's ever be going normal? on? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> you were normal. You wouldn't have an SVU podcast. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. What are you guys doing, you crazy kids? You driving to work. What are you doing? Feeding your baby. Feeding your baby. Uh, if you're my mom, you're probably leaving church and driving to work. Speaking of moms, I'm leaving my mom's house this morning. I brought my dog over to play. She goes, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go record the podcast. She goes, that's fun. She's like, you're discussing NCIS. I'm like, I love her. That is amazing. I had just given her a sticker with our name on it where it says SBU in review. Also, I am known to love a police procedural like CSI, Monk, Psych, Rizzoli and Isles. I could go on. I've never in my life, I've seen episodes. I've never in my life sat down and said, I'm going to watch NCIS. It's, I've only met one person who has. Uh, I have little to no opinion on Mark Harmon, who I think is on the show. Oh, yeah. Mark Harmon. The dad from Freaky Friday, right? I think that's the dad from, let me look that up. That is the most I've ever liked him was on Freaky Friday. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm like, I'm not crazy, right? That's the dad from Freaky Friday. Um, yeah, no, I liked him there too. And I remember like Loki being mad at um, Lindsay Lohan. I was like, he's like a nice stepdad. She comes around. She comes around at the end. She does. Such a good movie. Have you seen all the Freaky Fridays? No, I think just the new one. Is it Haley Mills in the original? That is the parent trap. It is... Jodie Foster, I think. Oh, shit, it is Jodie Foster. Okay, I was going to say, am I making that up? No, yeah, you're no, thinking of... that sounds... Whatever happened to Haley Mills? I think she just, like, decided to be, like, she, you know, after she did Saved by the Bell, and it was supposed to be about her. Did you ever see the first season of Saved by the Bell? Oh, the one that's like, what's up, Miss Bliss, or whatever the fuck its name was? Uh, good morning, Miss Bliss. <laughs> I think we should go with mine. Gonna need you to change your tone. <laughs> I liked the first season. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I liked seeing them all when they were younger. And by them all, I mean the two. No, Lark was in there, too. Um, but I agree. I didn't really like the whole Miss Bliss of it all. I was like, I liked Haley Mills, but I was like, no, I don't need this. And no one else did, too, because they were like, well, that's enough. She's still alive. Oh, good. <laughs> good for her, I guess. I don't know. Well, to business, I want to thank our new listener, Sarah, and future listener, Riley, when you turn 18 and can listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. Hi. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. And we now have stickers, and they're really cute, and the QR code doesn't work. So if you listen, if you've told me you listened, I will send you a sticker. If you haven't told me, tell me, and I'll send you a sticker. Just when people ask about the QR code, just be like, oh, it must be your phone. Yeah. Don't put it on me. I don't, I don't need that. I'm giving you a free sticker. They still look awesome, everybody. These stickers look really Thank good. You. I was like, I don't know how that stuff works. So I was just like, oh my God, how did you do that? But I forgot that Brittany <laughs> does that for a living. She only makes stickers. It is a huge part of my job is to order stickers. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and when I don't have the stickers, people are upset. Oh my. I can't no, imagine. I'm super upset. But. Oh, well, I guess I can't imagine. So today we are talking about Law & Order SVU, Season 1, Episode 8, Stalked, original air date November 22nd, 1999, and directed by Peter Medak. So Peter directed a movie called The Changeling, and I just had to let you know that 
<laughs> he didn't direct Changeling, but he directed a movie called The Changeling. Is that the one? It's from like the, the 70s or 80s? Yes, it's old. Wow, it's actually really famous. So that's awesome. That makes sense why, again, this was another like super well done. <laughs> sorry. Sorry if I seem low energy. I, I didn't eat today, not on purpose, but also I just, there's no food in the house and it's raining. So. Oh my God. Well, that's Do all right. Give you yourself something. I know I should. <sighs> all right. So, dun dun. We open up in Central Park and we're at the Ramble. Um, the Ramble is an area of Central Park that is well known for bird watching. I think it's kind of like the bird watching area. A man and his grandson are walking through the Ramble and they see a group of bird watchers walk by. It's kind of just like conversational. The kid's like, what are they? That's boring. And then the grandfather sat down on a bench and the grandson's like, what are you doing? And he's like sitting down and relaxing. And the grandson's like, that's boring too. You know what's not boring? This. Then this little kid proceeds to take his frisbee that he was holding and throw it directly into the woods, like, or a wooded area. Shitty aim. This kid is hilarious. He was like, what are they? I'm bored. Watch this. And just like without preamble, he just like throws the frisbee right into the woods. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And he's like, I'll get it. And the grandfather's like, no, because you're clearly drunk. So I'm going to go get it. (laughs) Is it known as a dangerous place? I wasn't 100% sure why the grandfather didn't want the grandson to like what? Looks like just like a little bit of woods. It's not like a fucking forest. Um, so I think it's probably about it was probably like like twenty feet wide, it looked like. But there are parts I'm not I'm not a distance mathematician, but yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, plus this kid didn't seem like he was uh <laughs> like he had great instincts, so <laughs> <laughs> Well, surprise, surprise, the grandfather is like, no, 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 I'm going to go in here. And he like stumbles through the woods and immediately finds a body next to the Frisbee. Yep. It, the, the Frisbee like landed right next to her head. It's, it's as if it knew it was like. Hi. And the dead body is a woman because, yeah, always. Um, and she's in like kind of a businessy suit. Her face is covered in blood. And it looks like I thought it looked like she's been stabbed. But I'm pretty sure it's just the blood from her face. Um, but it's all over her body. So the little kid's like, did you find it? And the grandfather just turns and hugs his head and goes, I'll get you a new one. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what like, just grab the fucking Frisbee. Oh, except I guess that would be tampering with a crime scene. <laughs> so we cut to Benson and Stabler arriving. The homicide detective who's on the scene greets them and says that uh, the powers that be want the perp caught yesterday. And they're like, why? <laughs> like, what for? And I'm like, well, because it's a dead lady. But apparently, well, not apparently, um, this woman, the victim, was an ADA, and her name is Karen Fitzgerald. She was raped and shot in the head, per the homicide guy. Olivia's face kind of falls because she admits that she knew her. They'd had drinks together a few times. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. I was noticing, I think we got more music in this episode. It seemed like they used the music more often, because we got it in the first scene when he found the body it was like whoa i promise myself i <laughs> i wouldn't sing i'm not gonna sing anymore <laughs> i will make the music noises but i will not sing i sing so fucking much and it's not even because i think i'm good it's just like a compulsion because i'm mentally ill anyway <laughs> do you remember that uh snl sketch where kristen weeks like don't make me sing <laughs> oh gosh don't ask me to sing <laughs> no i want to see it now <laughs> I-, I will send it to you after but i, I feel like that can be you. You're like, Brittany, don't make, don't make me sing. Don't, don't make me, me sing. sing. That would be shocking uh, <laughs> that people know I actually sing on here because every time I go to karaoke with people, they're like, why won't you sing and be fun? I'm like, because I don't want to. Dun, dun. Station bullpen. 
Cragen walks in and tells Benson and Stabler that the mayor's office also wants this case solved yesterday. Benson says Karen was an ADA for two years and that she was a real, I didn't have a better word for this. She was kind of a real go-getter and she took on every case that came her way. She was a criminal ADA, so she was dealing with some pretty hardcore cases. So uh, they go into the details of the case. She was beaten with a rock, raped, and then shot twice. And Munch brings up that there was a, a Labor Day rapist and uses the term doer again. Yes. And the stabler goes, there were probably 10 rapes on Labor Day, John. It's like, oh, what? And it's one that happened in Central Park. So it's kind of like, Stabler, use your brain. Yeah. It's like, okay. But yeah, so this is like the one helpful thing Munch has done in a long time. He was like, well, the MO pretty much matches. It's almost exact. And so when Craig, it's like, oh, God, go figure that out. Yes, he kind of sends everyone out on their tasks. Um, the younger Briscoe is here again. I can't wait till he leaves. Every time he's here, I'm like, who is that? Why don't you like him? Because he doesn't do anything. I know. What I remember when I brought him up the first, in one of the episodes, you were kind of like, great. <laughs> no, he just shows up and he's a Nepo baby. That's why I don't like him. He's a Nepo, but he didn't do anything else. <laughs> he's, he's not. He showed up. He's Nepoing. Oh, no. I don't have a problem with the actor. I have a problem with the character. And he, who is also a Nepo baby. I was going to say, wait. I was like, Marishka's a friggin' Nepo baby. <laughs> oh, I have no issue with her. Yeah, no. She's a sweet <laughs> only, Nepo baby. Only this Briscoe the. The junior. Um, yeah, so he tell, Craig tells Jeffries and Briscoe to pull the LDR case. Stabler says he's going to go find someone from the forensics team to rewalk the crime scene. Munch and Cassidy are going to go draw parallels from Karen's case and the LDR case. Done. Done. We go back to the Ramble, which would piss me off because I feel like their station is probably downtown and the Ramble is very much uptown. So I'd be like, could we have just have had this fucking meeting at the Ramble? <laughs> so the forensic tech is showing Benson and Stabler like cast she has made and it looks like uh, Karen Fitzgerald was crawling on her hands and knees, and then one point was begging for her life. It's the forensic text really graphic. The text says that the perp picked up a rock and hit Karen in the face with it, which broke her nose. Um, that's why blood was absolutely everywhere. We also found a condom wrapper. They found one bullet that went to the ground, and it seems that the other has ricocheted into the trees. And Olivia kind of looks around and starts wandering up over the hill. Yeah, one bullet was in her eye. Yes. Um, and it was a 44. I was posing the question in my head. Could a 44 take someone's skull off? Because it said that it hit her head and then it ricocheted. It like took half her head off and then it ricocheted. But yeah, so Olivia and the tech head up over kind of this big rock. Um, and as they're heading up there, Olivia asked the tech, did they find any books in the area? And the tech's like, no, why? And it was because Karen liked to go to the ramble on her lunch hour to read. So as they're walking across this rock, they find a book. And it happens to be a murder mystery. And the tech's like, oh, no, sorry, we missed that. Guess we messed up. And Olivia's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> Just And I was kind of like, I think they did, though. Yeah, that's a pretty big fuck up, I think. I mean, did you go over the other side? I don't know. Because they're right there, they see that there's a path and that there's benches. And there's a bench right in front of where Karen's body was found, like kind of like probably, again, like 20 feet away. And there's a bird watcher sitting in the bench. So they're like, that's probably where she got attacked. And they walk up to the bird watcher, uh, and he's salty because they're blocking his view of the warbling barrio. <laughs> they bring him back to the station, and the bird watcher tells them that um, some guy almost pushed him off the bench. And Benson and Stabler are like, did he say anything? Did you say anything to him? And he's like, well, no, I don't like talking to people. That's why I bird watch. Fair. Yeah, same. So they are showing him pictures of sex offenders. Uh, they say they narrowed it down based on his description. Uh, I don't know about that because everyone on the screen I could see looked 
wildly different. Yeah, no one looked the same at all whatsoever. Uh, so on the first page, he looks and he just picks out the first guy on the screen, like the very first one, top left corner. And Benson's like, are you sure? And he's like, no. Yeah. So then he looks on the third page and he picks out another guy. He's like, yeah, that guy. And they're like, okay, so which guy is it? He goes, they both look like the guy. So when this is all wrapped up, Stabler announces that um, the Birdwatcher made 10 IDs. Kraken has cross-referenced the 10 IDs with Karen Fitzgerald's cases, and there were two crossovers, uh, Kenneth Maggio, who was convicted of forcible sodomy, and then Richard White, who is a date rapist. So Kenneth Maggio went to jail for his crime, but Richard White, because it was only date rape, he didn't get he didn't get any time. He basically just he copped a plea and did absolutely no time. So he's a realtor. And they don't say what Kenneth Maggio does yet, but we find out later. But both men were prosecuted by Karen. And apparently because she's a shark, it was embarrassing for both of them. Dun dun. Uh, now we are at Richard White's office and he is telling them he was so shocked to read about Karen's death in the paper. How? How is it already in the paper? They just fucking found her body. Reporters have um, police scanners sometimes. But are you allowed to release the name before, like, the next of kin's been identified? I don't know. I would know. say even in this day and age, it's, I mean, I usually think it takes a couple days to, like, report on who or what happened. But maybe because she was an ADA. I don't know. Also, there's no phones. He would have had to get a physical newspaper. I feel like this is the next day. Actually, I feel like this is the same day. How does he know? <laughs> anyway, he knows. Um, he says that he felt for the woman. Olivia asks him why he would have felt for a woman who had prosecuted him for rape. And he says that basically he's like one of those people. He just sees things objectively. And the charge was dropped down to sexual assault anyway on the advice of his attorney. And so he was deemed innocent. There's a lot of gray areas in there, he said, that he said she said of it all. Yeah, he claims he had no hard feelings towards Karen Fitzgerald. She was just doing her job. Olivia asks if White forgives Louise Billings as well, and he's like, who? And Stabler has to remind him that that's the woman that he was accused, that he was accused of date raping, who he did date rape. And he tells them that Louise was just confused, didn't know how the world worked. I love Stabler's face when people say something that pisses him off, and he just kind of gets a look in his eye, and he's like, why don't you tell me? Why don't you explain it to me? Good old Ellie Stab, tell me. Elaborate, please. Uh, and apparently, Louise and he, uh, he went to Louise's for dinner after they broke up, which he says was his idea. He broke up with her. They had sex. And then because he didn't want to get back together with her, she went and filed a report for rape, you know, as they do, as those women do. Stabler's like, gee, wow, that's so interesting. Everyone was wrong but you? And he goes, mm, it happens. So then Olivia asked where he was yesterday during the hours of 3 and 5 p.m., I wrote, oh, my God, there is no way this would be in the paper yet. <laughs> Sorry, I guess I was really stuck on that. <laughs> like, it only happened yesterday? What the fuck? Um, so he was in Astoria between 3 and 5 p.m. previewing a house. Uh, Stabler, asks if he can Stabler asks him if he can confirm this, and White says that he used a lockbox to get into the house um, and that that information would have been faxed to his listing agent. I fucking hate the lockbox thing. It's not that confusing, but it changes like towards the end, like how they get into it and stuff. And I just hate when they do that. I'm like, just stick with the original. They have so many details about this lockbox and it's 
They made it sound a lot more complicated than it is. It's not even, I don't even think how they're describing it works is even possible for, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm acting like I was using shit in 1999, but like apparently the lockbox is able to record check-ins, check-outs, and then the list would have been faxed to the listing agent's office, which is also in Astoria. Um, so he says that they can confirm this by contacting his business partner, Kimberly Phillips, to confirm. Um, so now I want to cut in and just say that um, the actor who plays Richard White is Bruce Kirkpatrick. He was actually recently on an episode of Law & Order um, Organized Crime. He's going to return a few more times in SVU. And throughout his career, he often plays police officers. Like he was one in Triple X, State of the Union, 12 Monkeys, The Sopranos, and NYPD Blue. This guy's, besides this episode, is just like a professional cop, basically. And he played someone in the Lifetime movie starring Valerie Bertinelli, one of her very first Lifetime movies, Silent Witness. I don't remember who he played, but I think it might have been one of the rapists. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. He makes this duck lip. If you don't know what a duck lip is, please Google it. He duck lips at everybody. And it's just so offensive. And so you're kind of on site. You're like, ew, I don't like this guy. But it's all acting because I looked him up and he doesn't duck lip in real life. No, he seems nice in real life. I don't fucking know. No, he does seem nice. I like him. (laughs) <laughs> dun dun somewhere in manhattan because i don't know they're like outside somewhere because they're like fuck jeffries we don't need information about where she is jeffries and some random cop literally a cop that we don't even get to see his face or know his name and he's just there i called him a balding detective yeah like why couldn't they have th- thrown briscoe in there i don't know maybe he wasn't there that way that day but Jeffries and some other random cop are talking to a witness and his name is harold levin i looked it up because he's actually kind of featured in this But so they stop him outside of where he's leaving and he's like, oh, is this about the Labor Day case? The guy who ran into me? And and I'm I'm sure he knows it's like deeper than that. But it kind of sounds like they're like, yeah, we need to make sure we find that man who ran into you. So they bring him to the station where he's going to look at pictures. And unlike the birdwatcher, he's studying them very closely and says no to each one. And then he says he's been there for two hours. This is like a great munch scene, albeit random. Maybe they were really trying to band-aid and remedy all the shit from like the last seven weeks <laughs> that everyone had to deal oh, with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he asks Munch how long he has to stay. And Munch looks at him and goes, it would be a mitzvah. And Harold gets very excited and goes, are you? And Munch smiles at him and asks him to look through 12 more pictures, at just like the 12 tribes. And that makes Harold, he's delighted. He's so sweet. He was so cute. <laughs> I loved him. And so then classic Law and Order, this happens a couple times in this episode, he turns to the screen and he looks and the first picture he sees after turning back to the screen from complaining that he was there too long, he goes, that's the guy. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what if he had left? I I know. Oh, my God. He almost like didn't identify the guy. Right. He's like, yeah, that's the putz who ran into me on Labor Day and called me a Jew bastard. And I was like, oh, my God. Imagine you're just like trying to like live your life and someone runs into you. So Munch reads out, out loud in front of everyone in this area. So it's Cassidy, Harold, and he, that the person he pointed out is John DeSalt. He's a Canadian and he was deported. And he tells Cassidy to go contract Montreal. Dun, dun. Crim Properties. What a hideous name for a company, by the way. It's Crim Properties. So Olivia asked Mr. Crim, who's the property manager and owner of this um, property management company, if they work often with Richard White. Uh, so Mr. Krim says that White handles their lower income housing and caters to lower income buyers. And he sort of implies, actually very much implies, that White is a scammer of sorts. And he talks his clients into buying low income like money pits. 
Mr. Krim gives them the log of the lockbox check-ins, check-outs, which I still have no clue how the hell they... What? <laughs> I was like... Uh, he was kind of explaining it, and I'm like, oh, I'll just go with it. I don't care anymore. The one inconsistency is how this fucking lockbox works. I was like, okay, so when you type in your code, it faxes the office? How? Exactly. I didn't think they had the technology. Like, nowadays, of course, where you, you would do that. That makes sense. Like, you'd get, like, a ping on your phone, and it'd be like, oh, Richard White has entered such and such property, and you'd be like, okay. Yeah, exactly. But, like, this, and it changes, because then, anyway, I'll wait till we get there. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Cassidy has found the guy from Montreal, Dussault, John Dussault, who is the implicated in the LDR case, the one who pushed hair 11 and called him that awful name. So, so forensics never matched the pubic hairs found from the LDR case. Um, so Cassidy gave them John Dussault's name. And when they ran it, they came up with a couple of other assault cases on him in Canada. So Canadian PD is now looking as <laughs> a Canadian PD. Uh, they're now looking for Dussault. And Munch is like, well, that's all well and good. But he could have come back here and committed the crime. Uh, but he has now tracked down, I called him the sodomite. Yeah. Is that what he said or did I write that? No, he calls him the sodomite in the, in the oh, thing. Okay. I, I wrote like, that man, down. what's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah, so Munch is kind of sassy uh, with Cass and he's like, well, that's all well and good, but he still could be our rapist. Uh, but he's tracked down the sodomite, quote unquote, and now he wants to go talk to him. Dun dun! Tong's Donuts, that's the name of the donut place. They walk in and the owner is talking, he's, they're talking to the owner and the owner's like, oh yeah, the convict, he works minimum wage, he's out back. Munch is like, has his hands on the donuts. I'm like, this is someone's business. He came in here, he's, he's like, ew, can I eat this? I'm like, well, your fingers are on it, so now you have to. They must have been like, you know what, we don't have any funny banter in this, we have to like throw in some offensive shit. So uh, Munch and Cassidy bust into the back and ask for Kenneth Maggio. They're like, known for sodomy. And this bald dude's like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? Like, keep it down. Yeah, he's like, you're trying to wreck my rep? In Kenneth's photo, he had a bunch of hair. And so this guy is bald. Now, I was first thinking that he maybe had shaved his head um, for DNA purposes. But now I think he's just trying out a new look. Well, that's what Cassidy says, too. He immediately starts roasting the fuck out of him, is what I wrote in his notes, in my notes. And he says, oh, look, that's typical. Shaves his head to make himself look different, but it just made him look more and more ugly. And he says it like that. I was not happy. So obviously this guy did do something bad, but he went to prison and now he's out. And I'm like, could you guys leave him alone? Well, the actor, once again, I hate when they do this because they made the actor look really sad. So like he really, the, the guy looked like, terrified and kind of like embarrassed and defeated and i'm like can you stop picking actors who look fucking sad i know so munch swaggers up to him he still has the donut that i don't think he's gonna eat waggles his finger through and he's like is it dangerous for you to be around all these innocent donuts yeah he goes does this turn you on wiggling his fingers like this is a little much for me guys so they ask him where he was between 3 and 5 p.m. on the day that Karen was raped, and he says that he was home. Why did he say that at first? So Maggio realizes that they're asking after Karen Fitzgerald, and he's like, whoa, 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 you can't pin this on me. I was with my lover, Frank Stern. You know, it makes me feel I, I shouldn't have given Munch a lot of props earlier. So Munch immediately mocks him for turning to men. So Maggio becomes enraged. Which I guess rightfully so at this point, because they've been fucking with him at this, <laughs> this whole time. And he goes, you want to know why? I'll show you why. And he whips down his pants and reveals a damaged penis. 
And he says that someone at the jail he went to gave him a welcome bath and it soaked his penis in sulfuric acid. So he now I can't even rape a freaking ant. So do you think? Like what? What the fuck? Right. That whole thing. I'm like, do you think his penis shrank? Is that what he meant by he couldn't even rape a freaking ant? I know that I was like, is it really small now? Or did it like part of it fall off? Is it a tidy, 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 tidy penis? Is he like smooth in front like Ken now or? Right, right. It's, it was a weird, that was some weird writing because it's like. <laughs> but what, like what a fucking thing to say. I couldn't even rape an ant. Dun dun. We're back at the station. So we open on a conspiracy theory for Munch. They must have thought we don't have any funny scenes in this. We have to throw in some stuff here. <laughs> For some levity. Yeah, because it was something It was something about Neil Armstrong and I think the Kennedys again. I did not write it down this time. I wrote Munch does his conspiracy thing again. He's ranting to Jeffries, who is in a sweater. Is she sick? I didn't okay? notice. Oh my God, I am, I am rocked by this. She's in a sweater. Um, ma'am, are you kidding me? So I now have a theory that Munch and Jeffries have now done the deed because when he's like ranting to her about all this conspiracy thing, she just looks tired and just goes, yeah, okay, Munch. And the heat's gone. And then Stabler even says, he goes, you're learning, Jeffries. It's not that she's learned. They did have sex. And now the spark is gone. Uh, So Benson asks Munch what the deal is with Kenneth Maggio and he tells her about his penis. (laughs) No, no, Paige. He says he took acid to the scrote. Did he say acid to the scrote? A hundred percent. Jesus Christ. I, don't, I can't believe they wrote that. <laughs> That's insane. I was, like, I was like writing that. I'm like, okay. Um, Craig and Bustin doing his Craig and thing where he's yelling. And he's like, does anyone look good for Labor Day? Munch tells them, yeah, John DeSalt. And then he turns to BNS and he asks about White. And Stabler says, Richard White's alibi looks good for the night of the crime. They found out that Karen really dragged him through the mud during his trial, so he must have hated her. Um, And I was thinking that, too. I'm like, he kind of gave, like, he was trying to act above it, but he seemed pissy, kind of, you know? So I was like, I feel like you're probably mad about it. And now we confirm that she basically, like, ripped him to shreds in court right before letting him plea down. So Cragen tells Munch to find Louise Billings, who is the woman that Richard White date raped. And Stabler says that Jeffries found Karen's best friend, Joan Simon, who's another attorney, and she's coming in later that day. I immediately thought to myself, IDK might be a theft Joan. I don't know if you guys remember that uh, if you commercial. Don't, you're not old enough to be watching, listening to this podcast. That's true. Actually, if you don't, if you're any one of my 13-year-old cousins, please tune out immediately. I say a lot of stuff you don't need to know about me in here. And if you don't know what IDK might be a theft Joan is, you shouldn't be here. Google it. Done, done. So we are now at the apartment of Louise Billings, and Louise is basically saying that Richard could be really sweet, but he also had a really bad temper, and he had he had abusive tendencies. Yeah, he became abusive over the course of their three-year relationship, um, and he would force her to do sexual things that she didn't want to do. Um, I thought it was weird that, so she said they dated for three years, <laughs> and but then typical fucking man, when they brought, when Stabler and Olivia asked White if they knew who Louise Billings was, he was like, hmm? But also, it's like, he spent time in court with her. You know, so it's like... You fucking know who she is. Right. Asshole. Fucking Dick. Dick White, actually. His name's Richard White. He's Dick White. Dick White. Dick White. Moby Dick. He's a big white dick. So Cassidy, in his infinite wisdom, goes, like, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde? Now, on IMDb, I was reading the goofs, and you know how you say anyone can edit IMDb? 
That is so true. Someone wrote, when Detective Cassidy refers to Richard White as Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde, he is mocking White, not misquoting Robert Louis Stevenson. Cassidy is alluding to White's professional side being the monster, not the personal side that sends flowers and feels guilty. Whoever wrote that? <laughs> what were you on? That is the dumbest shit I've ever read. He t- 100% fucked up the name. Oh my god. Wait, not so- Not making some grand statement. Okay, wait. So I think I missed that part. I was listening to I was like, okay, this person's just being- um, when, he, when you say he fucked up the name, what part did he fuck up? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he says, uh, Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll. I get it. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh my god, I missed so many things in this episode. That made me so mad, because I, like, read the goop, and I read it three times, and I'm like, that isn't what he's saying at all. That's interesting, because I wonder if he, like, messed up the line, like, Brian Winters messed up the line, or if, like, Cassidy, Cassidy the character, like, messed up the thing. Probably could have been a little of both, frankly. Could have been both. Louise broke it off eventually. I think we did say that, but... Munch asked Louise how White reacted to their breakup, and she said that he was calm, which she didn't expect. Um, but then afterwards, basically for the co- over the course of a month, she kept running into him just randomly. Um, but she said that it felt like it was like running into an old friend. I don't know how you could feel like that after you just got done fucking somebody, but okay. And Richard was very charming each time. So finally, she got to this point where she wanted to invite him to dinner at her place for old time's sake. He got drunk at that dinner, and that's not the problem because I got drunk at every dinner. He got drunk and he forced her to crawl on her knees and beg for forgiveness before raping her. And as she says, as she begins to cry. Oh, and then Munch says that it was very brave of her to even take him to court. And she says that Karen Fitzgerald was the one who gave her the strength to testify against White. And then after the trial, White sent flowers to Lise's apartment with a note that said, no hard feelings. Station interrogation room. So Olivia is interviewing Joan, IDK my BFF Joan, and they met in law school. Uh, So Stabler asks if Karen was ever afraid of anybody, and Joan says no. Karen was fearless when it came to men. Which is one of those lines where it's kind of like, all right, that's that's not what we asked, but sure. Even when guys would try to hit on them, this seems like a very annoying, like, 27-year-old woman thing to do. She would, like, take out her DA's badge and flash it at them, and the men would scatter. They'd disappear. I wouldn't even know what that is. Thank you. Thank you. If I like went up to hit on someone, they flashed me a DA's badge. I'd be like, (laughs) what is that? Can I get your number? I'm going to get a badge that says professional podcaster and guys like come up to us. I'll be like, "Uh, elite squad pod. Back up. Actually, you suggested we should start giving them when men do hit on us. We can hand us the pod. I shouldn't say us. Brittany's got a husband. When men hit on me. Someday. They can still hit on me. Oh, no, you're okay. right. I didn't want it to be disrespectful, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Some people, t- some listeners might take marriage super seriously and think that I'm being like, eh, like, it's, who cares? Like, Penn Badgley's wife, who was like, I feel disrespected by sex scenes. <laughs> I'm mostly upset about that because I want to film a sex scene with Penn Badgley. And now his wife said I can't. So as a fan of that show, are you going to, like, were the sex scenes, like, important to the plot? People are mad. It's not that important. And honestly, I've tried to start season four and I'm hating it. So now I don't even care if there is sex or isn't. I'm just not having a good time. Oh, well, that works. He didn't even really say his wife, but all the comments were like, I can't believe she's being so difficult. And I'm like, uh, I mean, I don't know, to each of their own. I don't like so much sex in my shows because it makes me jealous and I don't want to watch. I will say, I like a little sex in shows. It's fun. 
Keeps it spicy. It's because you have sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here not. Like, look at us. Us sex havers. No, I, I don't have it, so I'm not. <laughs> Karen's not scared of any man. Oh, you know what? Actually, about a month ago, she and Joan were out for lunch, and there was this guy sitting across from them and just staring at them and smiling. It sounded fucking terrifying. Karen got rattled, and instead of doing her really funny badge thing, she said that they needed to get up and leave. Uh, BNS are like, did she tell you why? Like, did she explain what happened? And Joan's like, no, she wouldn't talk about it. And then when I asked her again later, she like still wouldn't talk about it. So then they show her um, picture lineup of like six men and Joan picks White out right away. Yeah, she immediately identifies him. And this case just took a very, um, like an even creepier turn. I encourage everyone to watch this episode because I forget his name. You said his name. But the actor that plays Richard White is really good. He's, he's so creepy. Immediately, you're like, this guy's fucking, he's a creep. A lot of times rewatching these, I forget sometimes who the killer is. And this time when, when he showed up, I was like, oh my God, this guy did it. He's so scary. So to Cragen's office, to someone who is not convinced he did it, he's like, well, White sends flowers to one, fixed smiles in another. What could I do with that? And Olivia's like, well, he was stalking them Cragen says impossible we don't have a stalking statue in a new york in new york ergo there's no way to stalk anyone so then what was all that fuck shit about gene being stalked by rousseau in episode whatever because now i don't know what episodes we're on six um remember they made a big thing about stalking they like got when the- they were talking to the priest they're like well that's stalking and that's criminal yeah you stalking is criminal and he's like oh i didn't know that is it or isn't it? Right. And I didn't look it up, actually. I should have looked it up. But I would assume that... It is illegal in, in the state of New York. I did look it up. It, it looks like, though, it's... You can... It's a fine. Oh, my God. That is so New York. And Olivia's like, okay, well, we've got a murder of an ADA. Maybe we can change the law with this case. So they leave his office, and they walk patch past Munch and Cassidy, and Munch says that White's business partner, partner Kimberly Phillips, was his character witness at Louise's rape trial. Cragen says that Kimberly could have been the missing link to this. Basically, why would anyone keep associating with White if they were an innocent person as well? And Stabler suggests that Kimberly is most likely afraid of him because he's fucking scary. Because he's terrifying. They're like, we'll go talk to this chick and we're going we're gonna to head over to Astoria. So they find Kim Phillips outside of the same house that White was saying he had been viewing the day that Karen was killed between 3 and 5 p.m. She's very confident. She's like, kind of like, oh, hi, hey, hi. Do you want to see the lockbox? And she's showing them how the lockbox works. And she's noting that there's a code that goes in and she shows them. She puts in like a number code. Each realtor has their own individual code and that goes into the lockbox. And that's how they identify which realtor used it that day. And then that information is faxed to the office. Did I, did I hear that right? That's what, that was my understanding. Okay, I good. don't understand how that works. Right. I don't un- understand the mechanics of that working, but. Yeah. Right. It's kind of note like anyone, I think Stabler says anyone with a code can access it um, as long as you have the code. Kim has been working with White for two years. They met at an open house and he proposed that they open their own company together, um, which seemed pretty weird and fast, but she doesn't seem to think it's strange at all. Yes, he offers to provide the seed money and that he'd be in charge of all that, but he just wants her in business with him. And so Olivia says, like, why would you go into business with a complete stranger you met that same day. And Kim says that she originally blew White off because she thought he was strange. The next day, he sent her, he did something sweet, she says. He sent her flowers with a note saying something about his feelings not being hurt, is what she said, sorry. 
I know. And we're all like, oh, shit. He said that the script has said that two times already. (laughs) (laughs) And then she says she kept running into him at open houses. And every time he would kind of pitch the idea again. And finally, she was like, okay, that does sound like a good idea. She then all of a sudden is like, oh, well, I've got a closing right now. Um, are we done here? And Benson and Stabler are like, yeah, okay, well, see you later. And she just kind of like hurries off. And Stabler and Benson surmise that Kim is possibly covering for White because she's afraid of him. Which I would agree, but she really didn't seem afraid of him. Like that actress kind of kept it together, that scene. Yeah. And Olivia says that White is a very controlling person. And so he kind of figures out ways to like, coax his victims into things well like victims even you know just like people in general dun dun dun. Cragen's office uh Cragen says that although BNS are fixed on white they still have the guy in Canada they're looking for and Benson and Stabler say that Munch and Cassidy are dealing with that and Olivia's thinks that they need to stay on white until they have a reason not to at this point I noted that Cragen had a pair of plastic handcuffs hanging from his desk lamp they are really, you're so good at his office. I just look at their faces. I'm like. He has so many toys. I just like looking at his toys. Yeah, he's like me. I used to have tons of toys on my desk. I thought it would be funny and then it got creepy. And then one time this guy that I thought was cute, like came by to like ask me a question. And I had a bunch of stuffed animals like piled up on my desk. <laughs> Whatever. He still texted me later. Oh, yeah. Liv brings up again um, to Cragen. He th- she thinks Kim is hiding something um, and that White's a controlling person that he he when the control doesn't work, he then turns to violence, basically, and exacts kind of revenge on those women who took control away from him. So Cragen takes us all in and he's like, I think it's time we bring him in and talk to him. And he thinks he should just talk to Olivia because he'll enjoy, quote unquote, taking her on. They're like, if he resists coming in, we'll slap him with a parole violation. Um, would that be for stalking Cragen? Because what else has he done? <laughs> dun, dun. White is walking around the room like he owns the place. It's like the definition of that term. And um, he's trying to make small talk with Olivia. He's pretty disgusting right off the bat. He's asking Olivia what she was like before she became a, t- a detective. He's like, oh, did you wear like a uniform? You're wearing one now. It's. The scene was so creepy. I can't recreate how fucking creepy this was. And they just kind of go back and forth with each of them trying to con- take control of the situation. Like Olivia tells him his alibi is falling apart and- because anyone could have used his code. And he just ignores her. And he's like, you dress down, but you're very attractive. Then he starts telling her all he knows about her, that she's done a year and a half in SVU. She graduated from Siena College, which is a real college, because I was like, what the fuck is that? So Olivia calls him a nosy Parker, which I was like, I know that's a phrase, but it was so dumb. Like, you're you're a nosy Parker. It was dumb. And he replies, he gets in her face, he goes, and you're a bitch. (laughs) Which is, I think, what I would say to someone if they called me a nosy Parker. And she's like, oh, did I hit a nerve? And we immediately, he kind of picks his beat back up. and He's like, I don't have any nerves. And then he does that gross thing where he, like, goes to move a piece of hair out of her face. Yeah, he, like, reaches right up and kind of just, like, yeah, touches her face. And she does the thing where she, like, moves away. Again, I would have slapped the dog shit out of him right there. But I know she can't because police brutality. He turns away and tells her that he's got to get to a showing. And because he's not under arrest, just a reminder to anybody, if you ever get pulled in for an interrogation, you're not under arrest, you can leave. They try to make it sound like you can't, but you can't. They have to say you're under arrest. So if you go, hey, am I under arrest? And they go, uh, no. Get the fuck out of there and don't talk anymore. Yeah. 
Bye. Bye. It's, if you're under arrest, you have to stay. So as White is going to leave, he opens the door and Cragen is right there. Cragen looks at Olivia and just like shakes his head. I know. And I was kind of like, oh my God. Yeah, like, Don't show him you guys are little bitches. Can't keep him under arrest. Right. It's like he was leaving anyway because like I said, they couldn't keep him. One of my pet peeves in police procedurals, and it's at its worst in the TV show Monk, but they seem to do it here. If I suspected someone, I would never let them know until I was putting cuffs on them. It drives me crazy when people are like, so where were you that night? I would 100% be Cassidy with Mike D from last episode. I'd be like, so this is so dumb that I even have to have you here. But you know, like, I've got to get all my paperwork done. It's like, it's like my, it's like a favor to me. Can you just like go over again what you just said? Fucking all these people are just like, and where were you the other night? Yeah. Mm, Likely story. I would have you thinking that I believed you until then you would wake up in jail. You'd be like, oh, shit, how did I get here? And I'd be like, I pretended I believed you all along. You're standing outside the bars. Me. I'm the one who did it. (laughs) They'd be like, oh, no, I thought we were best friends. I'd be like, you thought that because I'm not an idiot like all these fake detectives on TV. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Detectives Porter Negrella. Better than these detectives. As usual. It's the dad. No, Detective Agrella. There's no dad this time. There's no dad in this episode. It was the incest that killed her. (laughs) And I'm standing and smoking a cigarette. I'm like, and in the end, it was the incest that killed her. They're like, there was no incest. (laughs) Wasn't there? Law and order. Incest unit. (laughs) Dun, dun. Bullpen. Munch and Cassidy walk up to BNS, and Cassidy says that the Canadian guy that they were looking for is dead. <laughs> I love how much time we've wasted knowing pretty much the entire time it wasn't this guy, so I'm kind of glad he's dead. Right. I, yeah, I'm glad he's dead. Um, he's apparently, the Canadians found him, and he was colder than a witch's boob in a shack. This is delivered by Cassidy, and once again, I'm just like, okay. I liked how he said this. He goes, he OD'd on skag. <laughs> heroin yes i looked it up because i was like what is skag and can i do it (laughs) no only in canada i'm so green that i'm still learning drug names people will be like uh there's like a rap where they talk about uh brown rice and my friend's like do you know that's a drug and i was like what drug is it and she told me and i don't fucking know what is it i think that's from chief keeps don't like Munch says that he knows someone in the real estate world uh, of New York and that White's company also sells loans to their clients. However, because most of their clients are low income and they don't read the fine print because who would? I'm not a lawyer. 70% of the loans end up in foreclosures. Um, So because White also owns the loan division, he ends up with the money from the foreclosures and from the purchases. This sounds like it should be fucking illegal. It does. And yet some part of me, I wrote down that I feel like it probably actually happens. No, this 100% sounds like a real grown up financial thing that I don't understand. Cassidy says that Kim White's business partner, just to remind everybody, because there's tons of lady names here. Kim only works in, I guess she's part owner of the realtor part. So she doesn't have anything to do with the loan part, which is probably better for her. Because of that, she doesn't make as much money as White does. So now they're very interested in all of their financials. Dun, dun. They go to Taft State Bank. So Olivia's telling some bank guy that she wants to see Kimberly Phillips and Richard White's bank accounts. And I wrote, is that legal? Um, I think they can because like, say they need to see if you bought like a kill kit. I think they can like get your bank statements so they can look for things like, you know, duct tape, a tarp, 
a hatchet. Don't they need a warrant? Which I, yeah, they do, because that's what this guy asked for. Yeah. Saber's like, we'll get a warrant. He's like, yeah, please do. But then Olivia's like, oh, yeah, well, if we do that, a whole police force is going to come down here and, like, look into things. So he goes and he gets them the info, and we go outside with Benson and Stabler, and they discuss that um, Phillips is getting $3,000 every week under the table. And then Stabler gets a call, and I don't 100% know what he learned, but it seems like Kimberly was carrying around White's beeper. That beeper was, like, in reference to her using his lockbox. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. That didn't make a ton of sense to me. No, yeah, I agree. I was like, what? But then also they look at each other like they're kind of surprised. And I'm like, but weren't you talking about this earlier? That the alibi was shaky? The alibi was shaky. And then, and then Olivia pointed out to White himself that they look kind of, they're like, oh my God, really? But maybe they're just surprised because it's Kim. But then again, they were like, you suspected she was covering for him. <laughs> so... Yeah, they're like, all right, well, we're going to go confront Kimberly Phillips. Dun, dun. Kim's office. So they tell her they, they do not care that she's committing tax fraud um, unless she's not willing to talk to them. So Kim admits that White did initially tell her when he was like pitching her this business idea. He told her that he did have plans to find out a legal way to rip off low income buyers, um, but it didn't sit well with her. So she turned him down. And he, she said he got this scary look in his eye and she thought he was going to hit her in front of the other brokers, which that would like make me pee myself standing there. And furthermore, it scared the shit out of her when he sent the flowers because at this point he had no way of knowing her home address. So the day she said yes, he actually followed her to an open house. He had been stalking her since he said no. And Olivia's like, well, why didn't you just call the cops? And she's like, I did. You guys didn't do anything. She would have had to, like, claim he was harassing her. And then, but I don't know why she didn't do this. She was like, I would have had to claim harassment on him. And I would have had to said that I felt unsafe and scared for my life. But it's like, if he got so mad at you the first time you met him, and, and because you said no to a business opportunity, which any logical person would do, and then he looked like he was going to smack the shit out of her. And she didn't feel like her life was in jeopardy. And then she saw him. He was, like, following her around the city up until the day she finally agreed. But she's like, no, nah, I didn't think I was, like, in danger or anything. He was offering me a job. Uh, two things about Kimberly's office. She has a toy gumball machine on her desk, which looks super fun, and a nude statue in the corner. I saw the nude statue. The, it was like Venus de Milo. What a weird statue to have in your office. It's actually weird to have a statue in your office. But they also confirm with Kimberly that the night that Karen was killed, White threatened her to, get, to have an alibi for him. And that he threatened to kill her if she said anything. Um, and she said, I knew he would. So I agreed to do it. Sailor says they're going to go get a warrant. Finally. <laughs> Finally get a warrant for White's apartment. Dun dun! White's dun, apartment. Dun. So um, there are detectives everywhere collecting evidence. Um, Olivia finds a map of the Ramble with dates and times that correlate to when um, Karen Fitzgerald was going to be there. Um, Munch comes downstairs and he seems to have found some like violent porn magazines. And then Olivia finds a picture of Louise Billings, who was the date rape victim, in his freezer, which is terrifying. And he's gone. I died laughing. Like, I know it's not funny, but I fucking, she walked up, she goes, I just found a picture of Louise Billings in his freezer. They, they like found it alarming, but I guess not alarming enough. So we're back at the station and Munch has found a list of all of White's foreclosures that are empty. Cops are checking them out now. He voices concern that basically word around the station is that Olivia is now in danger because she and White got into it in the interrogation room that day. 
And she's a dum-dum because she's like, I'm not worried. He was probably just trying to mess with my head. Munch tells Olivia that he has her back and he offers to drive her home. She declines and he's like, well, that's good. I don't have my car. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, thanks, Munch. And he leaves. So as he leaves, Stabler enters and he's holding an ESDA report. He said what it was. I didn't write it down because it, but basically it's one of those reports where they can lift imprints off of notepads and they can like read what the imprints say um, versus like finding an actual note. And he had, oh my God, this was, I thought this was so funny and I'm probably just being dramatic, but he has a list of places that White had recently been visiting, or I guess it was like a list of places found in the apartment. And he was like, yeah, it's like a gym, a grocery store, a laundry, but I called them all and um, White's never been in any of them. And then a second later, he looks at the list and when he looks up at Olivia and he goes, this is your gym, your grocery store, your laundry. Okay, are you a stalker? Because how do you know all that? How the fuck does he know that? So Stabler's a stalker. Um, this is concerning, but I guess the show's just going to gloss over at that. I thought it was funny, too, that he had that list for a solid, like, five minutes before he walked in there. And he was like, oh, it's so weird. This list doesn't look familiar. That he sees Olivia's face and is so lovestruck. He's like, wait, these are all the places that I follow her to all the time. He's <laughs> like, I stand outside that gym and watch her workout every day. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. We're at Olivia's apartment. She is pouring herself a healthy glass of OJ. It was a, I feel like o- orange juice is best enjoyed out of a juice glass. Like, a, she drinks like a 16-ounce glass of OJ. That's a lot. It's very sweet. And then she, there's a knock at the door, and Elliot shows up, and he's offering to drive her to work. She's like, what? Olivia's not fooled. She's like, all right, well, what's going on? Munch offered to drive me home last night. And Stabler's face is so funny. He goes, Munch did that? Yeah, he's like, huh? She's like, yeah, weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> so basically, they're all going out of their way to protect her. Stabler tells her she needs to stop acting like a cop. And she's like, yeah, well, that's what Richard White would like me to do. And then they enter the kitchen. And I was brought back to that traumatic episode where they were in her kitchen on SVU 2023. And she was frantically looking for sugar. And then they don't kiss. 20 years later. 20 years later. And we're we still, still fucking waiting, guys. Still in your kitchen, not making out. So fuck you guys. But they do some light flirting. She tells him she wouldn't drive to Queens to save his ass. And he's like, mm, yeah, you would. And then he takes a swig of her OJ. <gasps> I didn't mm. notice that. Oh, my God. I need to stop, like, cutting my cuticles when I'm doing these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Stabler does what Stabler does. And he just gets a call from somebody. And he just goes, huh? We'll be right there. Dun, dun. This part sucked. We're back at Ali- Louise Billings' apartment. And Benson and Stabler are greeted by a homicide detective. Actually, for my Sex in the City fans, it's Asshole Jim, who dates Carrie and Miranda, and is an asshole. Ooh, he was sexy, too. I thought he was hot. He's actually pretty hot on Sex in the City, but, but he's an asshole. He looked tall, too. Tall guys are assholes. Sorry. So he tells them that the neighbor heard shots fired and called it in an hour ago, and he leads them past this witness into Louise's bedroom. And this may be the most graphic thing we have seen so far. Yeah, this one was. This al- was actually very upsetting. Aerial view down on the bed, and it's Louise Billings, and she was just like shot. Is <laughs> she was just everywhere. like shot? Yeah, there's blood everywhere, and this is a great apartment, by the way. Louise has some generational wealth behind her. Oh, I was thinking that she has a huge apartment. Yeah, so they see Louise just dead, you know, like not even a question. Um, and apparently there are casings from a uh, forty-four, which is the same gun that Karen was shot with. Uh, so, um, so they head out to the living room and they're speaking with the neighbor who heard the shots. 
uh, one of Luis's neighbors. And bef- so he heard the gunshots. And then he said he heard a man say, bitch, because the walls are paper thin. Um, so he went to his peephole of his door and he looked out and he saw White leaving. Um, and they confirmed because they show him a picture of White. And he was like, yep, that's the guy. Oh, he was super creepy. Stabler conveniently has a whole sheet with a bunch of mug shots on it. And he just like pulls that from his coat. And he's like, oh, uh, is the guy on here? And the guy's like, yeah, that guy like right there. And he knew because Richard White turned, I'm Richard White, uh, White turned around uh, and stared at the neighbor's door like as he was leaving. So thank God or else he wouldn't have seen his face. Stabler and Benson are like walking out and Olivia feels super guilty because she said she didn't take the picture in the freezer as a sign that something bad might happen. Uh, yeah, agree. And Stabler's like, well, we can't protect everyone. And respectfully, what? You, you know this guy's dangerous. You know he's on the run. You, lo- you know he loves revenge. Maybe like a phone call to Louise, like, hey, maybe you want to stay at a friend's for the next week. Like, right. Just lay low. To- no, they're just like, oh, he's running around. Whatever. But Stabler's all ready to be like, no, he's stalking you. It's like, well, I'm sorry. Neither of you found a picture of his ex-girlfriend who he raped in the freezer. Strange. Bad cops. Yeah, yeah bad cops. Bad copping. Back at the station, um, once again, Cragen is at, at a 10. He's yelling about total cooperation to get White off the streets. He's just hollering at everybody. Yeah, and they're like, we know. You're the one who didn't want to arrest him for stalking, dick. He sends Jeffries back in a vest and the oft-forgotten Briscoe to go check on those foreclosed homes. Munch and Cassidy are told to go give Phillips another go. And then Cragen pulls Benson aside and he tells her he doesn't want her out there today. Um, and Olivia quotes... From the first episode, uh, which is made to sound as though it's been months ago, but it's really only because they even give the dates in these episodes. We didn't write it down for this, but it's really it's really not that long since she started the force. It's like the beginning of November and episode one happened like the beginning of October. It's been like a month. Um, so Olivia says, Captain, when I came to the force, you told me I don't get to pick the Vic. What if I'm the Vic now? The same rules still apply. So, yeah, she remembers got that him. dumb conversation. Yeah, got him. <laughs> He's like, Crazy damn it. reluctantly concedes. Yeah, hoist on his own petard. So everyone gears up to go, and as everyone's like scurrying around to go to their assignments, a bro arrives with flowers, and we can totally see where this is going. Two dozen roses and a note that says, no hard feelings. So he just must not give a shit anymore. No, he's like, "Mm, no hard feelings. Fuck it. Yeah, well, I just mean like, he's like, I don't fucking care. I'm going to do anything and everything to look guilty imagine if he uses the same florist every time and they're like it's richard white he just constantly sends flowers with a note that says no hard feelings he must just make a lot of women real mad it's like oh man this guy is frequently attacked by people what a victim <laughs> dun, dun. flower shop the owner tells bns that the flowers were purchased on a platinum credit card under the name lila white that's literally this whole scene yeah she just gives them the address Dun dun! BNS are speaking with White's mother, Lila. Um, and she's a rich lady. You just can tell because she's got rich lady things. She's got a rich lady, like, kind of poisedness about her. And she's, like, sitting next to her silver candlestick. Uh, she kind of looks like an older Shannon Doherty. I wanted Shannon Doherty's hair so bad. I think earlier that day, he showed up looking disheveled and asking for money, um, which she said is kind of the only time she ever even sees him. Uh, so she describes him as a taker. He blames his mother for his father's suicide five years ago. 
So they're like, well, if you don't get along with him, kind of, then why would you give him money? And she goes, well, he's still my son. So they ask if Richard said where he was going, and he said he was going back to Manhattan to see a special lady friend, a police officer. And Olivia makes like a what the fuck face. And then she goes on to roast cops. And I, I thought it was funny. Everyone, I was obviously upset about it. She's a snobby bitch. She's a snobby bitch, but she's like, I told him you should drop her before she starts taking from him, too. As I understand, you people don't make any real money. And so, for that, you get to deal with filth all day. She is awful. And Stabler just kind of smiles gently and goes, Oh, I love Stabler this episode because he's just, like, very, like, chill, snarky. He goes, all shapes and sizes. And she kind of is a little pissed about that. So now Stabler is dropping Olivia off, and he wants to walk her to the apartment. And she's like, no, I can take care of myself. And I kind of appreciate that the show lets Olivia do that. Like, she's young and beautiful, and there will be times in the show where she and Stabler have to, like, save each other. And I'm just glad we're not doing that now. We just kind of get to establish that Olivia's like, no, no. We do this one time. We're going to do it every time. So, no, I'll take care of myself. I would have taken it. I would have said, yeah, sit outside. I don't want to get fucking killed. Stabler tells her she's not a superhero. And Olivia's like, listen, if we let White change my life, he wins. And Stabler's like, it's not about winning. And I'm, I'm with Olivia. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm going to teach this fucking guy a lesson. I'm not going to change my life. Mm, stalking's like my worst fear. I would have lost it if this was happening to me. As a police officer, I would, I would be with Olivia. Oh, if this was me, I'd be like, yeah, you're going to walk me upstairs. A hundred percent. Yeah, I guess because she knows karate or whatever and, like, carries a gun. She's not afraid. I guess that makes sense. But dun-dun, later on in the middle of the night, Olivia's phone rings. She answers it, and it's White. And he's like, Olivia, nice to talk to you. It's so creepy. And he says that he wants to see her and talk to her and that he's been try- and she's been trying to find him all day, which is means he's been following the cops, which is crazy. <laughs> um, so he says he wants to meet her somewhere safe where she'll feel safe. And she's like, all right, well, meet me at the station. He's like, no, no. What about the bench where I killed Karen? He doesn't say where I killed Karen Fitzgerald. He's like, the bench where it all started at 7 a.m. Yeah, like, I was like, I want, I want you to pick somewhere safe. And then he's like, nah, but let's go to the bench where I killed let's, someone. Let's go to the, let's go to a remote area. It's like, oh, okay. What was the point of your first sentence? Um, and he warns her if he sees one cop, they won't be able to consummate their relationship. Ew. Me scream, me screaming for the next year. I would just be shrieking. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. Seriously. Well, again, she doesn't care. Um, but I said, it- I'd be like, Stabler, you're putting on an Olivia wig and you are going to go sit on that bench. Fuck that. Okay. You know, what's funny. It's so strange that two seconds ago I was like, yeah, I'd want him to sit outside. But I think it's just because I would have been sleeping. But this scene, I'm like, what do you think you're going to rape her? She knows like karate. So I think if it were me in this meeting up with him, I'd have been like, yeah, absolutely, because I carry a gun. I'm going to shoot your dumb ass, even though she can't because she's a cop and they have to put him in jail. We're not at Stabler's like pistol whipping era yet where he commits police brutality. We're still a little civil here. Dun dun. The ramble. Um, Olivia is waiting on the bench, uh, the one that Karen was sitting on when she was attacked. Uh, She's looking around because she's supposed to be meeting White, her boyfriend there. So a homeless man walks by. He gives her a little wave. At first, I thought that was going to be one of the SVU people hiding. Um, I was like, yeah. Oh, that would have been smart, but no. So then, just like seconds later, she, I shouldn't be laughing, but I thought this was so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's like... <laughs> so, two seconds later, she sees a man and a woman jogging towards her, 
Um, the man's wearing a hat. But when they get up close, to, right as they pass the bench, the woman goes, <laughs> the guy with her is white and he's got a, a knife to this woman's back and he just goes, run, bitch. <laughs> and she hauls ass out of the frame and he just like lunges at Olivia. This like whole scene's chaotic. When he leans in, he's got the giant knife to her throat. The squad pops out of the bushes, guns drawn. And White's looking around like, oh my god, what? I can't believe this would ever happen. He's like, oh my god, I'm so shocked this happened. What a bad thing to happen. He's like, I can't believe that she would actually bring back up Cragen. They're like going, get on the ground! Get on the ground! Cragen kicks White's leg out from under him. And it was like one of those comedy kicks where he just like up in the air falls right on his back. And then Olivia jumps on him and is just like, just turn over and shut up! She like roughly cuffs him and he's just swearing at her. He goes, you lying coward bitch. And I'm like, why would she not lie? About- it's so funny that he was literally going to kill her. Like he had a knife to her throat. She defends herself and he's like, you're a lying coward bitch. I'm like, what? Oh, because she was afraid to die. Oh no, what a coward. Also, she never told you she wasn't going to bring SVU. You just told her not to and she did it. That's not a lie. That's disobeying. Why did you grab the jogger to begin with? <laughs> I know, that was so dumb. I thought this was a great takedown scene, too, because we really haven't had a takedown scene except for the scene where they took down Hot Tom Scott. Dun-dun. This is the last scene. White is standing in the interrogation room, and he's got handcuffs on, but they're letting him stand. I would have literally tied him to a chair. I would have been like, you're sitting your ass down, fucker. Stalkers should be able to lose their feet. That should be part of their thing. It's like, you don't get to have feet anymore, sorry. You just use them to- I love that. I think it's just Cragen and, no, it's Stabler, Cragen, and Olivia outside of the interrogation room, the two-way mirror. And Olivia says he wants to confess, which he very clearly does because he's been doing crazy shit, like leaving his ex's picture in a freezer. Um, but she says that she needs to be the one to go in there and interrogate him because he wants to, like, be with her, basically. He wants to, like, do all of this needs to happen with her or else it's not going to happen. So Stabler reminds her that he has to cop to using the gun in order for them to get him. And I'm glad she reminded him because I would have forgot too. I would have gone in and been like, how'd you kill her? Where I forget. So Olivia enters and Richard White is like, I thought you stood me up. He's so fucking creepy. This is like his peak creepiest. He's so creepy. This scene's so creepy. So he asks about her mother and she immediately is like, she's fine. How about your mother? I met her. And he's like, uh, she's just a classic refrigerator mother. And then he turns it back to Olivia's mother and mentions her rape, which. (laughs) Yeah, and she reacts, unfortunately, which again, they can't. She realizes right there that she needs to stop reacting to him because he gets off on these reactions. He gets it. He he truly loves just being scary, which is probably the worst part about him. It's like beyond just wanting to stalk people. He wants to scare people. He wants to terrify people. Ugh. She turns. She gets the conversation away from Serena. And asks about Karen. Um, and somehow he knows that Olivia knew her. It's like, how? What the fuck? Yeah, no, that's a little s- sloppy, but. And um, he asks how Olivia likes to relax after work. And he literally just stares at her pelvis. Like he's looking yeah, at her I pelvis. Like, I, was, I was like, what is he looking at? He's not looking at her face. He's just like, yeah. And he's staring at it and he goes, a warm bath. Ew. Eh. At this point, I think I would have been like, fuck it, Stabler, you talk to this guy, I'm out. I feel like I just would have lost it and just started, like, yelling weird shit at him. I'd be like, how do you relax? Show me your penis. No. I would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> he says that he knew that Karen would go to the Ramble 
same time, same place, same day, uh, every week. And Olivia's like, oh, so she made it easy for you. And he goes, too easy. He gives a really upsetting blow-by-blow account of what happened with Karen. It's really, I don't know. I think this is the scene that has upset me the most so far. Yeah. White says that he stuck up behind Karen while she was sitting on that bench and he started strangling her. And he described the feeling as crushing styrofoam peanuts. And I'm holding my own neck because I don't want anyone to touch it. So once he was strangling her, he dragged her into the woods. He picked up a rock and he hit her with it. And he said that she yelped like a whipped dog. And then he made her crawl to him and ask her forgiveness. And then Olivia goes, forgiveness for what? In court. She embarrassed me. He said it kind of like, duh, Olivia, I had to do this. He's like, I had to kill her. So Olivia asks if he killed her and he smiles and he says, you need to know if I killed her so you can kill me. And then he starts giving an account of how he killed her, but it's wrong. He says he stabbed her to death, which is a lie. So yep. they, they know he killed her, but because he's telling it the wrong way, now they can't get him for the death penalty. So Olivia tries to switch tactics here. And she sits down close to White and kind of puts on like a girlier voice and is like asking, can you tell me one more time how it happened? So then he goes, and he's got his duck lips and goes, no, I'm through. Do what you can with what you've got. I'm in your head now. I'm fixed on you. And we're going to be attached at the hip forever. So creepy. He turns and he looks at the two-way mirror. And he says, Detective Stabler, how are Kathy and the kids? Executive producer Dick Wolf. That's it. Yeah. This is the first time I was like, wait, what? What? No, no, because they need to get him because he's creepy. And like, we need to like fix this. I think we're left to assume that maybe his assault on Olivia is what puts him in jail. Like what? Because he's got to go to jail. Have, you know, like it's like they never brought up to him like about killing Louise. So maybe it's like, do they have evidence on that? There's a lot they could put him in jail for, but they seem to be like, nah, we got to get him for Karen. I think the whole problem is the whole, they want to get hit the death penalty for him and they need the gun evidence for that. I think they will get him life in prison. Right, because this they, is before they eradicated the death penalty in New York. So, I know, it's a, it was a little dark to have them angling for the death penalty. I was like, oh, do they still do that? I'm like, oh, wait, it's 1999. Yes, we do. The ending of that episode, to me, was so upsetting. I almost didn't want to rewatch it. Not that I didn't want to rewatch it, but I was just like so angry at the end. I'm like, oh, they didn't get him the way they wanted to. And he's so smug. I just wanted to see the smirk wiped off his face, like him getting his ass beat. And we just, besides Cragen's like kicking his leg out from under him, I was just like, he feels like he won. And that made me mad. I, wa- I liked watching it again because it was so, it was just so much more interesting than the other episodes. Up, up, oh, yeah. Yeah, like there was way more action. Why didn't he try to kill Kim? <laughs> I mean, this is a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to know the answer, but like. Why would he go and kill Louise when she really didn't do anything at this point? Like, all she did was talk to the cops a second time. So he went and rage killed her and not Kim for, like, being like, yeah, he didn't actually. Yeah, I gave, I lied. He didn't have an alibi for that. He went and go killed that lady, I think. I think if he had had the chance to kill Olivia and get away with it, I think he would have killed her. But. Oh, true. Yeah. I think he's the be- best villain of the season so far. and I think so. He might end up being the best overall even against the other episodes he scared the shit out of me what would you rate this episode grade letter letter grade a minus what was the minus for 
I'm taking off a point for Munch's homophobia. Oh, all right. You know what? Okay. Um, so I'm with you there. I'm embarrassed I didn't remember that. So now I'm embarrassed that I even questioned you. Um, yeah, A minus. So A for literally everything, but minus for these writers need to fucking stop with this shit. They need to stop. <laughs> like I know. Just let us have an episode where everyone everyone's cool. Oh, my only other thought was that they have so much evidence against this guy. I'm really not concerned about them getting him for life because now they have he attacked Olivia. I'm sure that jogger has something to say. Like, I was just jogging. This dude ran up to me with a knife and then chased, like, made me, like, run in front of him. And yeah. Lady. But the jogger thing was so weird. I was like, why would you do yeah. that? And the stapler, just in case anyone's wondering, this never comes up again. Um, he doesn't attack the stapler family. There's not, like, an episode later where the stapler family is in danger because of it but i like how they worked their way in no matter what they weren't in this episode we didn't talk about how there was no staplers i know there i was actually kind of missed them i did too like there was i think they didn't do it because it would have been really scary yeah it was terrifying all the other they've all been very low stakes Mm. like it's been oh maureen's misbehaving or dickie was missing for one second you know that maureen would have been annoying about it though she would have been like daddy now we're being stalked. Why can't I go to school today? Why can't I go out with my friends today? Now because of your job, we're being stalked. This is so typical. Dickie's like, Daddy, what's a stalker? Dickie, Dickie, who said that to you? Who told you about a stalker? Well, we have had them appear in every episode up until now. So I think we might be, we will of course see them again. But I think we're done seeing them all the time. And I'm kind of sad. Well, that's all I got. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Um, I promise I'll eat before the next episode. Same. Um, <laughs> join us next week for Law and Order SVU Season 1, Episode 9. We're about to leave single digits. Oh my god! I can't wait to forget and write down 8 like I did for this episode. That was annoying. I was like, Episode 7! I was like, we did that last week. Because of Wanderlust, I forgot all about it. Your Wanderbust really fucked us over. Yeah, fucking bust. Um, anyway, <laughs> bye! Bye, guys.